Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its, on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that, might not, so that they might not ever again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys, they flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field, the wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell, they sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock, and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food for th from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has a home in the fir trees. The high, mocks, sorry, the high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are for the refuge of the rock badger. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will give to the Lord as long as I live. Sorry, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your timeless word. Thank you for the power of your word to revive the soul, to make wise the simple, to rejoice the heart, to give light to the eyes. Thank you that it's sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. By your words, your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So thank you for your word. It speaks to all of our hearts, to our deepest needs, and we see Christ in your word, uh, who is eternal life. Pray, Lord Jesus, you would be revealed today through this word, uh, our need for you, and Lord, make us, fit us, equip us to be your servants, your hands and feet in this world to bring you the praise and glory that you deserve. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was having a chat to Pete some months ago and we were talking about preaching and Pete said you were going through the Psalms and he said, do you have any Psalms on book four? And I, once I reminded myself of what exactly book four in the Psalms was, and I told him I had one on Psalm 104, but it was a topical, kind of a topical sermon uh, on being residents of this planet and he said that sounds good let's do that and so here i am 
So this was part of a series we did at Nations Church last year called uh, What Does It Mean to Be Human? And this was the last one and it was on being responsible residents. It flows out of this psalm. So this psalm has to do with God's glory in creation, uh, his beauty revealed to us in creation and our connection with creation, our relationship with this world as well and our response to it. So what's this psalm about? It will help us delight in God's glory and creation. Just think for a moment about what you've done this morning so far. You got up and you took a deep breath. You put some clothes on. You used the sink. You used the bathroom. You ate breakfast. You had coffee maybe and most likely you drove here. Now, in all of those things, think for a moment about your connection with this planet in all of those things. You breathe the air in. The house you woke up in, which is made from rocks, dug up somewhere. Your clothes came from flax or cotton, farmed on some farm somewhere. The water you use comes from Wyvernhoe Dam, and it goes out through the pipes to some other body of water somewhere. The food you ate was grown in different places, planted and harvested somewhere. Milk from a dairy farm, honey from a beehive banana from a tree somewhere, coffee from some tropical place somewhere, petrol in your car that was dug up out of the earth. All of the things that you enjoyed and, and did this morning have a critical connection to this planet every moment. So how mindful are you, are you of that in your day-to-day -day life? How mindful would you say you are to your connection to this planet in day-to-day -day life? So God has purposefully made us to be dependent on this planet. You know, uh, he made us with embodied souls. Human being is an embodied soul. We're made to have a body. We're made to be physical beings. In the new creation, we'll be physical beings. And it's the same too with the world we live in. We're made to have a world that's our permanent home. Right now, this is our home. In the new creation, we will live in a renewed earth. So we're, we're created not only to have bodies, but to have a home in this world, dwelling in it, delighting in it, rejoicing in it, and in no small way responsible for it. And so that's what we're talking about today. Here's our outline. Rejoicing in God's world, responsible for this world, redeeming our world. Right, so this first one, rejoicing in our world. What does the Bible have to say about our world? We might think, well, it doesn't really talk too much about our world. It talks more about spiritual matters talks more about how we need the gospel. Absolutely it does. But what would you say? It doesn't say much about this world. It actually says a ton about this world. We'll have a look at this psalm and we'll see. It, it talks about all of these things. It talks about God, God's delight in this world, the value of this planet, our response to this planet and what that needs to be, our relationship with this planet, God's plan for this planet, our role in this planet. Psalm 104 is a great example about all of these things. So first one here, observation from this psalm, God delights in his creation. All of it, he loves it. God loves his creation and he continues to renew and uphold it all the time. Right through the psalm, just have a look at it if you've got your Bible and have a look at the words. Again and again you get these words, he makes this, he makes this. He makes the clouds and the wind, verse 3 and 4. He makes the water sources, verse 10. He makes the grass to grow, verse 14. He made the moon and the sun, verse 19. And it's all good. He made it all. And you get this sense he's continuing to renew his creation. We know that the Lord Jesus renews and upholds the creation. 
And when he finished creating, what did he say? He said, it's very good. It's excellent. God's creation is excellent. It's delightful. So all of creation puts God's glory on show. That's what this psalm is about. The psalmist is delighting. Hallelujah. It's a song of delight in God's creation from start to finish. Verse 1. Look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my Lord God, you are very great. You are clothed in splendor and majesty. So it all starts and finishes with this hallelujah about delighting God's creation. How much do you delight in God's creation? God loves his creation. He delights in it. And the Bible puts a high view on the physical world. It's precious. It's wonderful. It's God-glorifying. It reflects his genius. Have a look at verse 24. O Lord, how manifold. That's diverse. I'm getting old and I think that word's old school. I don't think there's an excuse for manifold. Wonderful. Diverse, beautiful are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So it reflects his genius. All of the creatures in the world reflect his genius. You know, uh, Proverbs 8, it gives this personification of wisdom. It says, I was there at the creation at the Father's side uh, when the world was created and I delighted in creation. I delighted in mankind. This overflowing delight in God's creation. God loves his creation. It reflects his genius and his wisdom. Every, every little bit, every little corner of God's creation puts his glory on show in some small way. Every unique animal, every sunset, every river, every tree, every rock puts his glory on show in some small way. I'll give you an example. Here is a few beautiful creatures. I wonder if you can think about what they might have in common, these four creatures. Southern cassowary, a northern quoll, a pygmy possum, and a southern bluefin tuna. Well, they're all created by God. They all reflect his glory. They're all Aussies. They all share Australian habitat, waters or land somewhere. They're all Aussies. All of them are critically endangered or not far from extinction. All of those creatures reflect a different aspect of God's glory. Southern bluefin tuna, for example, has 5% of its original population left from overfishing. Now, this world is our home, but it's a home for all other animals and plants as well. And each creature has been assigned its place. Have a look at verse 16. God gives his glory to reflect. Uh, these creatures reflect God's glory in their own little way, in their own little part of the world. Verse 16. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nest. The stork has their home in the fir trees. The high mountains are the for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. So God delights in this world, he loves it, and every single one of these creatures reflects his glory. It's got its place, it's assigned its place in this creation to reflect his glory. Verse 31, May the glory of the Lord endure forever, may the Lord rejoice in his works. So the Lord rejoices in his works, how are we to respond to his works? We're to rejoice in them as well. And look what it says. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. Now, if we're passionate about God's glory then, we want his glory to be seen in the world and to endure in the world. How do we want to treat creation? How do we want to treat this planet? We want to make sure it reflects God's glory and continues to reflect his glory as it should, that it's not marred or diminished by being ruined. It's our beautiful home and we want the Lord to continue his glory to be reflected in this world. All right, second observation from this psalm, we're dependent on this creation. See this a lot in the psalm. We're dependent on its resources and we're dependent on its rhythms all the time. This is part of what it is to be human. 
Our lives are ordered around these rhythms and resources. Look at verse 19. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You made darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. And man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. So God made it this way on purpose. The day and the night, we know in creation he separated and ordered out of the chaos he created the sky and the land and the water and the, the land and the seas. He separated and created order and he created rhythms and we're dependent on all these cycles. It's weather, it's rain, it's seasons, the oceans, the tides, the droughts, the floods, the fires. Our lives are inseparable from the rhythms of creation. We all know this, but we can easily forget it. And we're dependent on the resources of this planet. Look at verse 14. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So why is creation given to us? Three reasons there. One, that we have work to do in it. You can see that in verse 14, for man to cultivate. So there's work to do in this world. He also gives it to us for our delight and enjoyment, wine to gladden the heart of man, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So we've got, we're given this world to work in, we're given this world to enjoy, and we're given this world to be sustained by it. Now, not long ago, you might have seen this during the COVID spread, uh, people got real nervous, maybe we got real nervous about the, the question about supply and food and other things like toilet paper. And so am I going to get access to these things? And I saw a fight at the parking lot outside the shops once about all this and the stress associated with it. And it's a frightening thought, isn't it, to think, what if I can't get... Well, we forget about this. We just go to the shops and the supermarket. We buy our meat and we buy our food. We don't really think about it. But when our supply is threatened, we realise how vulnerable we are, how, how dependent we are on this planet. It's easy to forget living the way we do in a prosperous society. But we constantly, every moment, are relying on God's sustaining and provision. Have a look at verse 27. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. Totally dependent on the Lord's creation every moment. So... How does our Father want us to view his creation and this world as our home? With delight, like he delights in it. With thankfulness, as a precious gift to be cherished. With humility, knowing that we depend on him every moment. Here's a quote by a, a US farmer. He's, uh, he's a, a political sort of, well, social commentator. And he's a Christian, but he's disillusioned. He's, all, he's been disillusioned for a long time about the church's response to the environment, uh, to the, response, the low view of the care of creation that is often seen in the church. This is what he says. And we, we see this in the psalm. The ecological teaching of the Bible is simply inescapable. God made the world because he wanted it made. He thinks the world is good and he loves it. It is his world and he has never relinquished title to it. And he's never revoked the conditions bearing on his gift to us of the use of it that oblige us to take excellent care of it. If God loves the world, 
then how might any person of faith be excused for not loving it or justified in destroying it? So let's have a high view of this creation that honours God and make it a source of daily praise. Have a look at verse 33. Creation so beautiful, so delightful. I go for a walk at the end of the day at about 5 o'clock or after I wrap up whatever I'm doing work-wise and I go for a walk. It's one of my favourite parts of the day. The sun's setting. I'm, enjoying, I'm just enjoying outside. And it makes me joyful. Now, what does he say? I'll sing to the Lord all my life. I'll sing praise to my God as long as I live. Creation makes us sing. It's delightful. Let's give thanks for it and place a high priority in the care of it. All right, second one here. Responsible for this world. How do you feel about the idea of someone ruling over something? Now, in our culture, authority is not a pleasant idea. It's an idea we react against because we're familiar with exploitation of authority or abuse of authority and we're familiar with someone ruling for dominating and ruining something well it doesn't always have to be that way think about a referee in sport there are two different kinds of referees there are good referees and there are bad referees the worst referee makes calls when they shouldn't they interfere with the flow of the game they wreck the flow of the game and the worst referees they say you notice the most but the best referees you hardly notice Right? They let the game flow. They bring out the best in the game. They encourage good play. They discourage the play that uh, limits and, and wrecks the game. So they're a good addition. They preside over the game, but they preside over the game for its good. Now, in a similar way, God gave human beings like you and me the privilege of ruling over this creation, of stewarding and caring over this creation. Look at Genesis 1, 26 to 31, and if you want to know all the foundations of what it is to be human and be related to this planet, we've got to go back to the garden, got to go back to Genesis, and we see it all coming from there. Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion, so there's the rule of man, over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing, that creeps on the earth. So, how are we to rule over this world? We're to rule over it as God rules over the world. Not to exploit it, not to ruin it, not to dominate it, not to mar it, but to nurture it, to care for it, to bring it to fullness. God has put us in this world to care for it. Now, I don't think any of us would imagine John Calvin as a particular priority on environmental care, but look at this quote. This ruling over means responsible care and keeping that does not neglect, injure, abuse, degrade, dissipate, corrupt, mar or ruin the earth. There's John Calvin on how we should care for this world. So Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So that's our job, to work this earth, to bring out the best in it and to take care of it. That's our job, to steward it. Now, a steward is someone who looks after someone's stuff on their behalf while they're not around, right? Or something similar to that. Remember Jesus' parable of the vineyard, the tenants in the vineyard, and they were to steward that vineyard. This, this guy builds this vineyard, wine press and all these things in it. The tenants come in and they seize it for themselves and they, they try and reject the owner and they take it all for themselves and try and claim it. Now, sadly, we as humanity, have done this. We have failed in our role as stewards. Why? We've become like the bad referees because we've turned our backs on the Creator. By nature, all of us who are involved in the fall, all of us sharing that, have turned our backs on the Creator. 
And so in doing so, we ruined ourselves, we ruined our relationship with God, and we ruined our relationship with this planet. We became by nature exploiters of others, exploiters of the resources of this planet, and sin and death ruin this world as they ruin people's lives. So an outworking of the fall is this planet gets wrecked. It gets ruined. And we only have to look around us to see, we don't have to look very far to see how clear this is in the world. Pollution, destruction of forests, overfishing, bad farming practices, loss of animal habitats. And we all share in a responsibility in this. I'm not telling us we should all feel guilty about everything that happens, but because of the fall, we inherit a responsibility as stewards. Now, we're still made, though, in God's image. We still have this job to do, and the fall doesn't stop us from being stewards in this world. So what's our response? Well, first of all, the biggest need for us is to repent. Repent because by nature we've turned away from God. By nature, we've rejected him. And so sin and death is the cause of all the ruin in the world, the ruin in relationships, the ruin of this planet. Sin and death is the cause. So first of all, we don't need to fix up our view of the environment. First of all, we need a heart change. and We need Christ to transform our hearts and renew them in the image of our creator. That's what we need. So we need to repent. So the best solution for the environment is the gospel. First and foremost, we need a relationship with God and we need eternal life. And Jesus came to die to bring us that relationship with God again. So if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, first need, the most pressing need is for us to get right with him, is to repent and to get right with him. We all need to do that. Now, the work of Christ redeems us, doesn't it, in every area. It sorts out our relationship with God vertically, sorts out our relationships, brings peace and reconciliation horizontally, also helps renew and restore our relationship with this planet. The gospel has outworkings in all these ways. All right, so how have you been doing yourself yourself in this area of stewardship of God's creation? How have you been doing in that? And what part has this played in your walk with God? As an outworking of the gospel, not as the central issue, but as an outworking or an implication of the gospel. Now, lamentably, tragically, Christians aren't known, are we? Uh, in our culture for being passionate about environmental matters. Now, what are the reasons for that? Sometimes we're known for the opposite. So I'll give you four reasons of errors we can fall into, common errors in this area of creation care. Error number one is to dismiss the issue. And part of the problem is this uh, idea of dualism, this idea of the spiritual is good and high and important and the spiritual doesn't, uh, physical doesn't matter. Physical is just low and less relevant doesn't last. Spiritual is what matters. Okay, so that's all we're going to worry about. So this world then is just firewood. It's all going to be burned up. Doesn't matter how we use it. That's a result of dualism. Now that's not biblical thinking at all. It's not biblical thinking. Now you might think, yeah, I don't agree with that. But we do tend, even if uh, you've been well granted in the gospel, we can tend to be dualist in ways we don't know. Think about the spiritual disciplines. Some of you might have you know, been taught about what are the spiritual disciplines what are they there's the word and there's prayer and things like this what about going for a walk is that a spiritual discipline well how does walking how does getting outside in creation how about getting outside in creation that does good for your heart doesn't it Uh, you appreciate god's creation it's a spiritual exercise so when we tend to reduce things to things that don't relate to the physical world we can be a bit dualist in our thinking all right so what does dualism lead to a narrow view of God and his glory. 
It can view, result in a low view of work. Work's just there to make money, doesn't matter what I'm doing really. Um, a low priority in caring for creation. A low view of the body. A low view uh, of nature and arts and recreation. These are all outworkings of dualism. And a kind of a pragmatism. Let's just go with what's most convenient, what's most expedient, what's cheapest. I'm just going to go with that. It's an excuse to throw out the whole issue of creation, care and environmental concern. That's the first error. Second one is to politicise the issue. Now, sadly, so many important things get politicised. So many really important things like uh, other issues too, not just environmental care. Refugee asylum gets politicised. Racism gets politicised. Uh, care for the vulnerable gets politicised. And sometimes if the, the people pushing that angle aren't on our sort of preferred end of the political spectrum we can tend to dismiss it we react against it we don't want to know about it but that's not helpful is it because the bible teaches us to think biblically and principally about things not politically about things so first and foremost we want to be biblical and principle driven thinkers not political driven thinkers so let's avoid reacting against uh, issues that are on one end or another end of the political spectrum, and let's be people first who align ourselves with the principles in God's word. The hard part about that is it makes it really difficult to know who to vote for sometimes because some of the important issues are on either side of the spectrum, right? Well, that's your concern, but we've got to be thinking about, in, uh, thinking about principles from the, the word. All right, so take the issue of climate change. Some of you guys are passionate about this and you wholeheartedly believe it. You believe that this uh, world, the temperature is rising because of the human effect on it. Some of you think that's all a load of rubbish. Okay, But either way, the principles from the word are the same. We need to take care of this planet. We need, we're stewards of it. We need to look after its resources. We want the glory of the Lord to endure in the works that he's created in this world. So let's steward it well, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum. All right. Next one is to centralise the issue. Now... We can tend to moralise sometimes. Now, I've got nothing against being a vegan, okay? I, I, you, probably some vegans in here, that's great. I've known some Christian vegans who have made this the front and centre thing. Every time you talk to them, it's about them being a vegan. Now, the concern is, with, as with anything, if we make this what we hinge our identity on, what we hinge our righteousness on, we're making really big mistake and we decentralise the cross and the gospel. So by centralising the issue of environmental concern, and by moralising about it, and, and you know the whole virtue signalling thing, and the whole um, self-righteousness thing, I'm comparing myself, my carbon footprint's better than this other guy, right? That's all. That's not gospel thinking, is it? It's unhelpful. So let's avoid centralising the issue. Our identity, while we're concerned about the environment, our identity, our hope is in, and our righteousness is found in Christ, and not in these issues. They, they are outworkings of the gospel they're not the central thing all right last one guilt and despair and i'm i expect that a lot of you have felt this life is complicated and it's overwhelming and you just go to the shops and you want to buy a bunch of bananas and this there's a whole lot of guilt associated with this and a whole lot of complexity these days where these bananas come from were they ethically sourced were the workers paid for uh, paid appropriately what were the farming practices like um, but these ones are so much cheaper. And it's the same with our clothes and our eggs and our meat, and it just gets overwhelming. And we can just feel like we want to put this in the too hard basket and not even think about it anymore. And that's understandable. It's too much to process. I just want a bunch of bananas. And so we don't need to feel guilty about it. 
We don't need to. We don't need to feel guilty, but we, we. Nor should we neglect our role and responsibility as stewards. We need to be informed. We need to take steps to try and understand what's going on and to grow in this area. I'll put this quote up, and we'll finish this second point here. This is by um, a few guys. This one of these guys is Al Mohler, who's the president of the Baptist Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And once again, you, you may not expect Baptists, Southern Baptists, to be all that concerned about environmental care, but this is what he says. We cannot neglect our responsibility to exercise dominion in a way that treasures the earth, heals its wounds, respects its creatures, and values its divinely given resources. We know that we will be judged for our stewardship of the earth. This implies a hierarchy of concerns. Our first concern, our first concern is gospel commission. That doesn't change. But as we all know, the gospel comes with implications. A proper environmentalism is one of those implications. It's outworking of the gospel. Notice it says a proper environmentalism is a right way, a gospel-driven way to approach this. Let's pursue that. All right, last point here, renewing our world. I wonder if you've taken time ever to restore something. Some years ago, I got an old, found an old chest of my dad's that he used to lug around on a train to university when he was young, and I did it up and restored it. It was a good feeling to do that. Maybe you've done that to some furniture or your garden. You get, get, move into a house and you restore the garden. It's really satisfying, isn't it? I'll show you a picture here of this place in northern Cairns in Smithfield called Katana Wetlands. And this used to be at the site of an old sand quarry and a sugar mill, and you look at it now... And they've completely restored it. There's boardwalks, there's wildlife, bird sanctuary. I can imagine how satisfying that would have been for the people working on that for years to see it regenerated like that. Now, the God of the Bible, our Father in heaven, is committed. He's, he's, he's passionate about the work of renewal in this creation. He's passionate about renewing humanity and he's passionate about renewing this planet. And we know that God restores humanity through his son Jesus. He restores fallen humanity through Christ, through his death on the cross. And you know, he not only plans to restore humanity, he means to restore this whole creation. Look at Romans 8.20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So God allowed this to happen in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So God allows creation to go through this process of being broken, but not forever. The final state of creation is going to be renewed. This world is going to be renewed, and this is our eternal home, the new heavens and new earth, home of righteousness. We long for that day, don't we, when sin and all its effects, all its misery is going to be dealt with and done away with forever. Relationships restored, perfect relationship with the Lord. We long for that day. And you know, creation, it says there, longs for that day too, in a personified way. Creation groans and longs for that day. Revelation 21.5, God's in the business of renewal. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is in the business of renewal in every area. And so it's right that we be passionate about the work of renewal in this creation, because God is, and we're on his team. 
Just like we're passionate about seeing lives renewed, we want to be passionate about seeing this creation renewed. And as Christians, think about this. We have a better reason than anybody to be passionate about the renewal of this world and about environmental concern. We should be the biggest lovers of creation nature there are out there. Why? Because we love the God who made it. We're delighted with the God who made it. We love his glory. We love how he's redeemed us. We love this business of renewal and we want to participate in it. And so we want to be passionate about this. So how can we do this? We've been taught in lots of ways already and I'm not going to go through all of these. Uh, Be informed. Know the issues. Know what's going on. Be responsible consumers. We know this. We're taught reduce, reuse, recycle. All of that's really important. Minimise waste. If you can recycle stuff, there's opportunities, facilities to do that with your plastic. and Do it. Recycle stuff. Think about this. John 6, 12. Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's this little comment Jesus makes at the end that's easily missed. When they had all had enough to eat, he said this to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Why does Jesus say that? Let nothing be wasted. Why? Because that food can be used. So part of loving our neighbour is not wasting. Keen to make the most of our resources. So we need to make sure we're responsible consumers use better products if you can pay a dollar more and i think you can for that eco-friendly detergent we'll do it you know i've got a friend in england who was taken to task by some non-christian guys for not using this kind of uh, washing liquid he didn't have an answer for them why don't you're a christian right why don't you use he didn't have an answer for you it was a challenge to him so use recycled paper if you can use recycle you can afford recycled paper use it Partner with community groups. Now, what would it look like if we set an example in this? What would it look like if we led the way in this? You know, in a time where having uh, concern for the environment and looking after it is a mark of being a good person in our culture, it's really important for us to show our concern for the environment, to show that it's an outwork in the gospel. What a great witness that could be. What would this look like for us? You know, um, years ago, some of you might have been there, it was like 2009, it was on a beach project, and we decided that, we used to do sort of walk-up evangelism on the beach, we decided to diversify a little bit, and we do some community projects. And so we uh, partnered with Landcare, is anyone here who was at that day? A couple people, cool, yeah, Grant, just Grant. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, so we, we joined with Landcare, and we went out to Perigian Beach, and there was weeds everywhere, and this overgrown area and what we were doing is pulling out all the weeds and planting native plants and it was enjoyable to get involved in this but you know the guy running it can't remember his name this old pretty crusty dude anyway at the start anyway because it turns out he was had this sort of negative attitude to christians and by the end he started opening up and the other work land care workers were commenting on this and by the end he said you know i have had uh, this low view of christians but actually you know you guys have been great and you've, you know, you're totally different to what I thought. And so it, it totally opened this guy up and brought about a great conversation. You know, what a great conversational point that, think about this. So God's in the business of renewing creation. People know that, non-Christians know that. God's in the business of renewing his whole creation. He's passionate about it. They might be more interested in God being in the business of renewing their hearts. So it's a great opportunity to be salt and light in this world and an avenue for the gospel. So think about Tawong, think about the area you're in. What impact might it have? You're in a green electorate, right? You're in a green, you've got a green member of parliament here, right? Yeah, so important issue 
important to be across this stuff and a great way of connecting with people. Don't have to align with all their political views, but we're passionate about this area. People know that Jesus is passionate about creation. They'll be interested in his renewal of their hearts. All right, so talk about, this, talk about this this week. What does this look like for you? How can you be involved in it? How can you encourage each other? So in closing, what does it mean to be a human? It means we're given bodies. It means we're given this world as our permanent home and we look forward, don't we, to that renewed creation. When sin and death is done away with forever, we get to enjoy the world in all its perfection, all its beauty, all its glory, and God, with God forever. So let's press on for that day. Let's remember we're dependent on this world. Let's be delighted in it and let's engage in the world of renewing, uh, work of renewing this creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it uh, shows us most of all our need for you, Lord Jesus, your, uh, your work, your finished work on the cross to reconcile us uh, with the Father, to deal with our sin, to put it away forever. Thank you that you have shown such great love to us in drawing us into fellowship with your Son. So we pray that we would come to know you more and more, that you transform us to be faithful stewards in this world in every way, that we would love this creation as you love it, that we would honour you by that. We want your glory to be seen by all to endure. And most of all through Christ, most of all through the gospel, and also in these other ways, like care for the planet you've created. So help us to do this. Uh, show us what this might look like for us each personally. Help us not to centralise this issue, not to downplay it, not to politicise it, but to think biblically about it, but to get to work as faithful and effective stewards in this world you've given us. For the sake and the glory, Father, of your Son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.